Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by 12 by 12. Picture book authors need to be fairly prolific to be published. That's why members of 12 by 12 aim to write one picture book draft a month. Through an online forum, monthly webinars, a private Facebook group, and more, members enjoy the accountability, support, and motivation of a fantastic community of authors and illustrators. Registration is only open in January and February. Visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. That's 12x12challenge.com slash membership for more information. I have our audio recording just so that I don't, you know, forget to record. <laughs> Which sometimes I get really, as you know, because you now have talked to me. Sometimes I really get wrapped into a conversation and I'm like, oh, shoot, I forgot to hit the button. <laughs> so we don't want that to happen. With all the same energy. With all of it, yeah. <laughs> Can we just do this again? Same way, the- but again. on record. <laughs> yeah, make sure you laugh just like that. Hello and welcome to the Children's Book Podcast. This is episode number 655. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner or on PayPal at paypal.me slash childrensbkpod if you want to support the show. Today I'm joined by Anastasia Higginbotham, author and illustrator of What You Don't Know. It wasn't that long ago that Anastasia joined me on the podcast to talk about Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Anastasia gets right to the heart of conversations, always working to secure the dignity, humanity, and power of her readers, our children. And today, she talks about being raised by people who know what the world is and, in the process, how it feels to sweat every detail in crafting a story of liberated childhood. This, my friends, is a conversation I am so proud of, and one I hope connects deeply with you and sticks. Please welcome my guest, Anastasia Higginbotham, author and illustrator of What You Don't Know. My name is Anastasia Higginbotham. I go by she, her, they, and... I make books about childhood, and I make them for children. I also make them for adults, because we all had childhoods. And I make them in a way that 
helps me to heal from ordinary terrible things that I experienced growing up. And I focus on those ordinary terrible things that most of us really never avoid. So I have made a book about divorce. I've made a book about death. I have made a book about curiosity and confusion about sex. I have made a book about race in terms of whiteness specifically. And, um, and now I have made a book about a liberated childhood and what that might look like, what, how easy that could be. And um, my materials are the same materials that are all around all of us. I use grocery bag paper for my backgr- backgrounds because the brown paper is so beautiful and tough and interesting to look at and work with. And um, I create scenes that the children can be in as they go through whatever they're going through, and we bear witness to what that is, and I make little dolls, little paper dolls, to be in those scenes, and um, I take great pleasure in doing it and sharing it. Anastasia, I take great pleasure in having you back in this space, and I'm just going to say it, I have never forgotten your voice, and to hear your voice again makes me feel a deep resonant connection with you again. And it's, it's, I was reflecting as you were talking that there's not but a handful of folks on this show that I really, I have a sound memory of them in that way. <laughs> and I have this sound memory of your voice and of, I don't know, of your strength and of your truth in your voice. So I'm just, hmm. I am blushing again, but I'm just excited to be talking to you again. Thanks for coming back. My pleasure. This book, oh boy. <laughs> How do we talk about what you don't know? We can talk about all the things that that um, it sort of breaks the mold on, on what we might consider to be like a picture book, in that yeah. this is sort of, um, it's, it's long form. It's many, many, many more pages. It also is sort of... I, not it's 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 not a flip book but it sort of functions quickly like that it functions uh as a as a fast page turning each page is sort of a moment to sit with and when you're ready you move to the next moment um Mm. and and so i we had an email exchange prior to this about um about the um, how interesting it is to hear how people are reacting to this book. And right now, I, I suppose it's just in sort of the reviewer stage that, pe- that people are receiving early arcs because um, mm-hmm. as of recording this, the book isn't out yet and how folks are just sort of interacting with it differently. And I thought I should try to try to articulate how I've interacted with it um, mm. without jumping straight to Black Jesus <laughs> and jumping straight to <laughs> flower jackets and jumping straight to <laughs> all of these moments that I just want to talk about. But um, <laughs> but but that <laughs> flip too, book too. is something that that I, it really struck me as, oh wow, I'm really I'm controlling the pace of how I walk through this liberation as a reader myself. I thought that was a really interesting device to use in that way. Mm. I like that. I like that you get to have your pace. Mm. So. So why don't why don't we hmm why don't we walk directly through this book um <laughs> and try to talk directly about what it is and then I want to go deeper in that you you start us off <laughs> you start us mm. off with Billy Porter 
I feel like that really sets the tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy says, I don't, or the quote you use says, I don't need tolerance. I don't need acceptance. What we demand is your respect for our humanity. And uh, that, that um, when Daughter Press shared it with me, I, I right away thought about our conversation about uh, dignity, preserving mm-hmm. dignity and humanity and agency for children. Do you remember us talking about that last time? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so uh, crucial to, well, and so it's, it's a secret for some kids to even find out that they are entitled to dignity and humanity and agency. And uh, so I, I, I like that, you know, those of us who are letting them in on that bit of, <laughs> I, I, I can't even think of the word. I'm sorry. No, I think that you do such an interesting, powerful thing on your very, very first page that I think connects with exactly what, where, where you and I both are sort of trying to grasp at the words in the air to articulate, mm. probably because mm. this is quite fantastically a very, very personal book for you, but also for me. And mm. so I feel like I owe it to the dignity of my childhood self to try to get the words right in our conversation mm. today, Thanks. knowing that I won't, but I want to try. So you write to start power, this book. Power, power, that's power. the word. No doubt. Power. <laughs> to start... I want them to have power, real power. Sure. Um, in their bodies, in their own selves, not power to abuse. Um, yeah. 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 You start the book. What you don't know is that life was great before kindergarten. Mm. And I think how many of us, often as adults, do a really fun phrase. I don't know if this was deliberate or not that you're tying to this, but we do mm-hmm. that that phrase of like, oh, wasn't life easier in kindergarten? Or all the things I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. We sort of use kindergarten as a marker for where learning starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the golden rule goes back to kindergarten, it seems. Our first experience mm-hmm. socially with other children, kindergarten, it seems, which is not true. But but we as a society, perhaps just as a as a Western society, we tend to point to kindergarten. Your book sort of shakes us from the beginning and says, no, 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 no. Let's hear the voice of this character going before that time saying, you know, actually, things got more complicated when I left the people that loved me and were with me every day and went to people that didn't know me and were trying to put the lens of how they understand the world onto how they understand me. Mm, Well said. Yes, do, or misunderstand. Misunderstand. Me, in this correct. case, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do do when you were making this book, when you were thinking about how you were going to approach this topic, was it drawing from memory of pre-schooling? Is that where it goes uh, back for you as well? Uh, not no, not for me. I was drawing on my own son's experience mm. uh, of being so wild and free at home. And when he started school, he stopped dancing and he stopped painting his face and he stopped painting his nails and uh, he changed for a long, long time, about six years. And uh, it was remarkable to me. It was an amazing transformation once I saw uh, the pressure of school come down around him 
and this is not his story, I'm not telling his story, but that particular aspect, even those skeleton pajamas and that paint on the face is um, direct from watching my eldest son be transformed by that early socialization into school and, and shut down. And shut down. And always in trouble and always on the red. In six years, the whole of elementary school. Where... Yeah, and, and I we even moved him out of, uh, I think he had three schools. We kept mm. moving him and moving him. But it was just what school is yeah. or, or can be. Um, and and I'm, I'm certain it is for a lot, a lot of children. Uh, just the inequity, the overwhelm, the uh, sometimes beautiful teachers trying to manage a classroom that's way too big and has way too many more needs than just educational. And they're under such pressure to like produce test results, even in kindergarten and first grade. I mean, in kindergarten, they're saying, well, we got to get them ready for first grade. And in first grade, they're saying, well, we got to get them ready for second grade. And uh, everybody's stressed. And as I say in the book, uh, scared and scarred. And, and acting it out. So that's what it's based on. There's a great deal of focus on readiness. And it's, it's always interesting how, how we define readiness and how teachers are participating in a system. And these systems, uh, these institutions have flaws. But I think to, I, it might have even been when I was in undergrad getting my L.Ed. degree, when when a, a um, mentor teacher of mine said something along the lines of the fact is that children will not have as many great teachers in their time in school as one would hope that mm. the, the fantastic teachers, the best teachers they ever had that see them and understand them and resonate with them. Mm. You might have two or three of those in your time in school. Mm. Um, we hope that you have, good teacher Mm -hmm. though that teacher might be pulled too thin might have too many needs and just have a system that stacks cards against them and that is Mm -hmm. not okay and not right for Mm -hmm. either the teacher or the children Mm -hmm. it's a compromising institution as it is is, as it is at this time you know and I, i think that it's always been compromising and we we also see that it is hard to stay in teaching. I remember hearing that 50% of teachers um, typically leave after their first three years. Wow. Um, so before they even earn tenure in many states, they'll leave um, mm. because of how high stress it is. But those that find means to stay, to survive, to thrive, um, aren't always the best teachers either. They just are the mm-hmm. ones that learn how to adapt and stay. And so walking into this knowing um, that that there are great teachers, maybe even some listening now, that are doing mm-hmm. such a good job or they are trying their hardest to mm-hmm. do their best or to learn how to do their best, mm-hmm. but that that they are carrying out their job in an environment where there is just no way to keep sand from falling from your hands. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the you know the imagery that I put for the school was very intentionally um, kind of dreary, and uh, I used 
you know, I put this giant pencil and this giant bubble form test uh, into the collage of those that setting. But I also put really wonderful people there because that's happening too. You can be in this environment that's really dark and and I, and I mean dark as in like not the 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 windows are all closed. There's no the sunlight is not reaching them and um right like the environment let alone itself a breeze. A, yeah, yeah, I was going to say the, the environment itself is oppressive. It can it, be so oppressive. And no uh, no natural light. The air doesn't perhaps circulate the way that it should, so it's this stale dark mm-hmm. hallways yeah and there's just so much pressure on everybody yeah. like you can't do this you can't do this you can't do that here you can't uh go faster go faster do more not that don't do that uh so that's where this child finds himself and um uh well he starts to lose himself actually and uh, but does find other people who are there who are ready to make eye contact and really connect. But yeah, it opens up with a, a kind of a flashback to his first experience of being at school and having a teacher really single him out and uh, make fun of the way he's behaving because he's behaving like a girl and um, and just immediately be punitive and... and uh, He's just he's just very surprised because yeah. <laughs> he was having a good time until now. You do a really interesting thing with the with the format, with the layout of your book, in that there are um, some spreads that the art remains the same while the text changes, which is why I drew from that like flip book nature, the idea mm. of here's mm-hmm. an idea here, but the setting hasn't changed. The idea is going to move forward. Uh, case in point, um, right before we meet those wonderful adults in his life, the text reads, now that I'm in middle school, I have to wonder, what are we even learning here besides all the things we have to be afraid of and all the things we can't do? And when we turn the page, it's the exact same illustration, exact same collage. Mm. Um, the, the character's text continues, is anyone safe to be genuine, to be whole, to be real? Only we had seen three other characters in the spread as well. A child mm-hmm. walking up the stairs, um, a teacher, um, and well, two teachers, one um, at sort of a desk and one going into a faculty yeah. room. And the one at the desk is the security guard. The security the, guard. The lovely, wonderful security guards. And the security are... guard says yeah. in this text or thinks in this text, mm-hmm. I well, if I go from child from left to yeah. right, the child says, I can't fail these tests. And the security guard says, I can't fail to protect these kids. And the teacher says, I can't pay my bills. Mm -hmm. And to know and acknowledge that we all are carrying burdens. We're carrying weights. We're carrying these Mm -hmm. challenges um, Mm -hmm. through just trying to manage school but also I, I love that and this is not directly commentated on in your book but I love that it's those things that we are carrying that also influence the way that other people are judging us and responding to us it's because mm-hmm. we're all just carrying stuff that we need to survive the the security mm-hmm. guard saying I can't fail to protect these kids is mm-hmm. a thought that is in line with survival in that position mm-hmm. and the, the the real survival of these children Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and when I've had, I've certainly had the experience of, of meeting a security guard at the, at either of my children's schools who, 
you know, comes across as really brusque and really impatient and, and a kind of low grade hostile. And it doesn't take much to consider what this person is trying to prevent from happening. I mean, this person is under extreme pressure. This is a school security guard. This has become a frontline uh, position. And um, so, you know, have compassion for this person. Have some understanding for the fact that they're expected to do too much. And they may be sitting there just like full of all the love in their heart, but uh, they got to make sure that nobody gets really, really hurt at school. And it's just, it's just a strange, that's a strange job. And I wanted to, uh, uh, I, I wanted to put her in this case, um, in, in this story, I wanted, I wanted to put her right in there with all of her pressure. And, and I wanted the child in the book to be able to be decentered enough, old enough and mature enough to see that we're all here with our own stories. We've all got our own thing, and um, I'm not the only person in the world, and I can see that. You know, there's, there is sensitivity, there's empathy already from the child toward the people that they encounter every day. Hey there, book nerds. You know what's even better than hearing bookmakers share stories of how their ideas became the stories you love? Having those stories in your home, your classroom, your library, or your life to be enjoyed over and over. Bookshop.org allows you to purchase your favorite books from the show and support local bookstores while doing it. I even maintain lists of all the books shared each season, so it's easy to find what you're looking for. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop, or use the link in the show notes to find your next favorite story. The you 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 have this thread of love going through the book, and right away I think about that. That is the way that security guard in particular is loving those children by by having a personality that might not feel welcoming or 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 a demeanor that that feels off-putting or whatever that that's not to say that there's not mm-hmm. love there it's it's mm-hmm. to emphasize this is the way I'm loving you this mm-hmm. is the way I'm protecting you she's because, holding an impossible yeah. line yeah yeah mm-hmm. we we move to four adults um, in the child's life that, that are, I think, much more readily safe harbors. Mm. Um, uh, from Moxie, the the queer friend, to Addie. I, you know, I love a good librarian, and this is a tattooed librarian. <laughs> you know I love that. That's um, my neighbor, Addie. Your neighbor, Addie. <laughs> to, uh, I remember the note at the back of the book about your neighbor, mm-hmm. Addie. To, to a teacher, Mizo, to um, Mr. Vasquez, a counselor mm-hmm. who's also queer, it's noted, um, to give these these safe points and really sort of intersperse them throughout the school, mm-hmm. I think, um, is wonderful. But then you also, in bringing up that word safety, I do that deliberately because, because it causes us to, or you challenge us to think about what does safe mean these are safe places for you 
uh, just implies that you're not safe. There's a, this is a mm-hmm. dangerous place. And I think that that is something that, that needs to be acknowledged as, as well. That just like we, we talk about whenever there's a sign saying like, don't run down the stairs, don't do this, don't do that. The sign is always <laughs> there because someone has 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 had a problem there before. Yeah. And so it's to try to protect tell you. tell a story, yeah. But similar to know that we call these places safe places, but but I don't know that I've been in environments where we, we talk about the reason why we have to have this safe place is because the rest of the building is not always safe. It may not be safe. It you may you be. may be in danger here. So let me know where you let me let you know where the safe space is. It's right. right it's right here next to me. Yeah. <laughs> Come stand by me. For um all of the things we're talking about here within this child's liberation and safety and love um there was almost nothing more powerful to me than the the pages we had with his with dad with this dad character is just yeah wonderful dad and mom both of them are just i love that it's mom swears at her phone and i know that i'm loved (laughs) and protected because of that or dad has always seen me for who i am these these notions that you lay out Mm -hmm. um all you need to be is you there's these Mm -hmm. great bits of of wisdom and and seeing that i'd Mm -hmm. love to ask where that comes from but i know that that's probably hard to parse out if it's from the people in your life or if it's from you yourself having these ongoing conversations but you have you Mm. have so you have so many people saying Mm. so many pieces of of comfort in seeing this child anastasia can you think about or reflect on where you draw that language from i i draw the language from what i know uh people in the world are already doing for their children. So when I first started thinking about this book was a decade ago, uh, more than a decade ago. And, and it was going to be about a child who was really in deep trouble and, and really not safe. And um, it was going to be a lot more complicated. There was going to be some violence. And when I sat down to write, to kind of rewrite it, um, and I sat down to a blank page, a whole other story emerged when I thought about the people that I know in the world who are teachers, who are librarians, who are counselors, who are anti-racist um, educators, uh, you know, consulting with public schools, and, um, and who are parents um, improvising and reinventing what childhood could be. Um, here and now, you know, I thought, wait a second, wait a second, this child didn't grow up in the 80s. This child's growing up now, or maybe even a little ahead of now. And they have different kinds of adults available to them. And they have different, a different level of having been radicalized already, because their parents are doing their own work, are getting their own needs met, are, are committed to being well and to being healed and to being whole and genuine in the presence of their children. And so this, these are different, this is a different childhood. And I discovered it in the, the rewriting of the book. 
that and that's where the title came from. It was like, well, if, you know, if I put this child in a situation where they have enough space to be who they are because they are so, so deeply loved and seen and understood and always were, because the adults around them are doing what adults are capable of doing, you know, when we take care of ourselves and take care of each other. And what would this child want me to know? And what came back was all these, you know, these characters came forward. And the characters are real people from my life. So it, almost everybody in the book, except for really the main character, is, is very specifically based on somebody. So Ms. O is called Ms. O by her students in Detroit. You know, the, a woman who I met several years ago when I was working on the book about whiteness. And the father is my dear friend, Spencer, who, uh, you know, and I consulted with people. Aunt Viv is my friend, Eve, And I talked with them about who their character would be. Would you be in my book? Do you mind if I draw you? Can I use this name? Do you like what she's wearing? And do you like this apartment? Would you live there? You know, so I made it this really collaborative thing. But I really wanted to sing the praises of families and people who care about children who are already organized and mobilized around specifically children who are being targeted right now and always have been and who live in ways intentional and accountable to those children to make sure that the spaces that they move through give them enough room to imagine the kind of world they want to live in. I think that knowing that you've quite literally brought in everyone in your life that you, um, to, to play a role in this character's life Mm -hmm. There's something incredible to think this character is fictional in a way mm -hmm. and in a way not, but yet the people around them are real. And so how, how would this all work? That mm -hmm. actually makes a lot of sense for why so much ground is covered in this book, We go, but it's all connected. But it, I mean, literally we're going from, school to like you know teacher mentors to home with dad with mom to going to church to a, a larger talk about faith and divinity um to, to meeting god to meeting god <laughs> and then back to meet god stepping out on your own i boy that mm -hmm. i i i almost i don't know how you can do talking about queer this is because it's my experience but i don't know how you can talk about queer identity without mm. talking about faith right and when i read it uh, immediately that that was I mean, th these were the lines where i was like when i was reading this with my friend zakai we talked about my friend zakai last time when i was reading this with my friend zakai i was crying at these parts these mm. words of um i'm gonna i'm gonna read a little bit more to you if that's all right please um, um I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read. I might read the entire interaction between the child and Jesus. Uh, it God. should. It, it. That's that's the goal. So read it again and again and again. The child says, "Jesus, yes, you're here, always 
and everywhere. Do you know what's happening down there? Yes. Does it hurt your feelings if I don't believe in you? And God answers, it's my job to believe in you, and I do. So we're cool? Always. <laughs> and then there's the, uh, hey, Jesus. Hey, what? Are there other gods besides you? Divinity is everywhere, in everyone, and everything. And that's my favorite my favorite collage you have of, like, <laughs> the wolf and cheetah and uh, different god figures mm-hmm. and spiritual figures. Um, are you going to punish the people of Earth who hate me and blame it on you? Nope. Everyone is invited to love and be loved. I'm going to stop there because that... <laughs> the... Oh, the complicated... <laughs> The complicated thing of like, you know how some churches and some figures in churches say you queer person do not have space here because the Bible says how wrong your very existence is. And so to turn that and to to be queer and want to be like, you realize you're talking about a God who loves everyone and who everyone is created in God's image. And that Anastasia mm. is fully me coming out saying, mm. Mm. I am aware in my complex identity that I was created the way God wanted me to be exactly the way I am. Therefore, mm. how, how is it possible for my existence, the way that I am to in any way be anything less than God-like? Mm. And that can exist beside everyone else created in that in that image in their own way across this this earth. So how can mm. that be wrong? And then though to turn it on, are you gonna you know are you gonna punish them for how they treated me? Mm-hmm. And to hear no, because we're called to love. <laughs> ah, oh my word! What a disarming. <laughs> Almost infuriating, but very resonantly truthful phrase. Was this I had weird? to make I Go, had to make me. Jesus be true, be true to Jesus. Jesus. It, true. Even you know, it's not a book about worshiping Jesus, but the child is very aware of this presence in the world, and the child is black. And the child, when they say, "Are you going to punish the people of Earth who hate me and blame it on you?" they're they're speaking of their experience as. Uh, the experience of anti-blackness and being queer and and everything else um, and and just making sure let me check you know let me ask Jesus since you're here I, I got a few questions <laughs> it literally sounds like it. you the author did just ask all right Move my hand. Tell me what I'm answering here. It just feels like, I don't know, not to lay too much oh. on it. It sort of feels divinely inspired, those words. I was like, whoa, that doesn't mean, that doesn't feel like me reading Anastasia. That that feels like me reading scripture, and I need to hear it. It came so easy. That part rolled right out. I love it. It could be oh, so much word. easier. All of this could be so much easier. <sighs> Imagine you you end. Look, I found a way to get to the end of the book. Are you impressed? Oh, did you? In like 30 or 40 minutes, we got here. I was like, this is going to be a five-hour conversation. There's no way. But imagine we read how easy it could be if love were no trouble. 
no trouble at all. What I know is that love is the easiest part. I feel it. I get it. I give it. I am it. Get used to it. <laughs> get used. Ooh, I love to the notion of love being the easiest part because we know love isn't easy. Mm. But there's a great quote that comes from a song uh, by I think the artist's name is Sarah Groves that goes, loving a person just the way they are ain't no small thing. It's the whole thing. Mm. I, that line, God bless it. That line has always lived on my heart. That it just mm. comes right up. Um, it's no small thing. It's the whole thing. And mm-hmm. and I think about your line, get used to it. I <laughs> am love. Get used to it. Yeah. That's liberation, isn't it? To end on, Is it? it's not yeah. my job to change you. It's for me to see who I am and mm-hmm. to walk through the world knowing I'm created the way I'm supposed to be. You mm-hmm. get used to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> liberation. Do you, do you feel, do you feel that I know the answer to this? I just want to hear mm. you say it because you're going to name names and I'm going to love it. Do you yes. feel like there are people in this world who are helping children have liberated childhoods? Yeah. I bet they're all in this book. I bet many, yeah. of, not all of them. I bet many of them are in this book. Could you, Absolutely. could you talk a little bit about that? I feel like that's a great way for us to sort of wind down our time. Yeah. And I want to, you know, cause one of the ways that, the child really comes through is uh, when their friend Moxie, who's a little bit older and um, very steady and strong in imaginative presence and, and real too, a uh, real presence in this child's life suggests that they, that they do a podcast together. Yeah. And for several pages, we see them just imagining it and just getting to the truth of the matter for themselves and um, these are both queer black children and both loved children and, and um, rich with space and permission and voice and agency and self-knowledge and, um, and culture. Uh, Moxie's a real person who is a classmate or was a classmate of my younger son, and uh, she came out to her mother when she was 11. And um, her mother was doing a podcast at the time called Raising Rebels for Oppressed Parents Raising Free Children. And her mother is Nalika Radway. And she's doing this podcast, Oppressed Parents Raising Free Children. And um, that's what I wanted Moxie to bring to this story was this opportunity to be raised by people who know what the world is and are willing to uh, engage with it exactly as it is, and then who go to great lengths to be sure in every day that the child is free to become who they really are, to connect with their true nature and be that. And um, 
so both of those are real people, Moxie and her mother, Nolika. And, um, and so I, I want to acknowledge so much inspiration for these characters and the storyline comes from real people in my life. My, my sisters are teachers and, um, my brother had the experience of being called horrible names all through school mm. and, and directly threatened, promised, you know, I will get you one of these days. I will get you. I will, I will kill you, you know, from, from other children. And, um, and also he was growing up in the eighties. So the AIDS epidemic pandemic was, um, giving him additional information, you know, to more things to be afraid of. And he went to church every week and he felt what he felt. And so all of the people that were radicalized when in our own lives, and then we either have children or, or are in the presence of children or are just going through the world aware that children exist here. <laughs> we want, mm. And we want things to um, go better for them. And I see so much not just in my own life, not just in my bubble of Brooklyn, but all over the place, how much uh, energy and care is put into healing everything around the child so that the child can uh, take up space in a different way than any of us ever did. Yeah. And uh, that's what I think the two children in this book do because of the... Um, the willingness to, really the willingness to grow up on the part of the grown-ups and to um, really be present and also stand back. <laughs> Anastasia, I just thought of one more question I wanted to ask you, and I, I feel mm -hmm. very comfortable asking you frankly because I I know the work you, you put into this, but mm -hmm. I know in, in communities of writers... Mm -hmm. um, I know the value and importance of own voices and of making sure representation is done respectfully and as accurately and true as it can be. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you as a white writer mm -hmm. and artist, what types of things you think about? What is your process? What do you consider? Mm -hmm when creating characters such as in in these past two books mm -hmm. in particular that are black characters we talked a lot mm -hmm. about the the challenges that this child goes through in life because of being black or because mm -hmm. of being queer but as as a creator of this content what mm -hmm what i don't know if the word is yeah. what compels you or what care do you bring into this how do you not turn away in fear and just make it a white character instead do you, right. do you know what i'm trying to, to yeah say? yeah because there's i could turn away and just make everybody white and i could also just make people black as a you know oh there should be black people in my book you know like with without much thought but i really sweat i i yeah. sweat and i and and not that doesn't mean to say I suffer. I just I really sweat every detail, and I'm looking at the home that I have made for the um, father to live in, and how am I portraying him, and what is his, you know, what is the advice that he got from his father, 
and um, what is his relationship to his sister? Um, and, and all of those choices, what I can say is just, it was all extremely intentional and thoughtful. And it was because I invited friends to be part of this book, it wasn't um, generic. Mm. None of the characters in here are generic. None of them are put in to add color. Um, and I and I intentionally decentered the mom a little bit. Uh, the mother is white, and she and the father are not together. Um, and I don't explain that because it uh, they are together in regards to the child and co-parenting the child, and we see many examples of them very um, easy in their flow as they co-parent this child in separate homes um, and they each have their own lives. And um, so there was a lot that I was trying to accomplish with that. And um, she, we see her pick up a book by Octavia Butler called Parable of the Sower. And so we see a woman who is paying attention to the news, obviously, because she's cussing at her phone so much. And things matter to her, but she's also educating herself. And who is her, who are the authorities in her life on who are the, the educators and um, the truth, who provide her the truth. And so that was very intentional. Um, and if you do, if I did the math of the days right, when when we see when the child is with their mother and with, when they're with their father, the, the father is the primary caretaker. And um, that, too, was intentional. But I also, as a white artist and author, I wanted to you know, know that much of my audience is going to be white. And um, I am countering the anti-blackness that is part of the steady uh, flood of imagery and, um, and feedback that people are getting in the world. And, and that's part of our conditioning into whiteness. When we are white, we get a lot of anti-blackness coming in. And I wanted a book to counter that with, with, um, everybody who's represented here. And, um, and I'm also, I want to say, I'm not going to make a habit of it. I'm not going to make books about black people. That's not my, Mm. uh, that's not my goal. And I'm not just going to, it's this book. I wanted to do this very specific thing with these very specific characters. Uh, that's not how I'm just going to work from now on because I, I do feel like that would be, that would be too much. And that's not, uh, the point is not to add diversity <laughs> to my book. Mm. Um, but it's also not to just be, um, yeah, I, I don't want to be a white artist who's trying to tell stories about black people. There, there was something that I wanted to do with this book in particular. And, um, and I, and I feel good about what's there. Yeah. I, I really do. Those, those ch- choices were specific and, and I love everybody in the book. So, um, I felt a little bit more ease, but I haven't stopped sweating about it. It, <laughs> it, it is, um, it, it's an important question to ask, and I really appreciate you asking it. That's if I can, all. if I can speak boldly, one of the reasons why I felt comfortable asking it as mm-hmm. well, and this is really speaking boldly right at the listeners, is that I am very aware of how many 
black friends, how many friends of color you Mm -hmm. have that are real people in your life friends, not colleagues, not I see this person whenever I pick up my kid, but actual friends. And what struck me as I was reflecting on the your your comment earlier about the people you have in your life that are literally put on the page here is that I think many or maybe the majority of white people creating books in this case, I'll be very direct about that, Mm -hmm. do not have friends of color. They are drawing people of color. They are writing people of color. They are writing black children or Hispanic children, but they are not drawing Mm. from people that they know and are friends with and have established relationships with and can consult and uh, even then can sweat over, is this really the right decision for me to in any way represent this relationship I have with this person or family in my book? They are Mm. instead, I think, and I do not think this is unfair to make this judgment, but I believe they are more drawing from, well, I know my kid is in a class with uh, really diverse um, representation in the class, which mm-hmm. can absolutely be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that sort of class makeup does need to be represented. But in in the greater conversation of, which is a conversation I love to have on Twitter, mm-hmm. it's very fun to to have people come at me about this. The yeah. the notion of what lane should mm-hmm. we be in um, mm-hmm. in terms of telling stories? There's actually a phenomenal middle grade novel this year or last year, 2020, by Tori Maldonado called What Lane? You should read it. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Tori is okay. fantastic. He's another okay. one of the voices. If I if I go back to that, the voices that I can hear in my head. I know Tori. I can hear Tori mm-hmm. in my head right now. I have a mm-hmm. sound memory of him. But um, his book, What Lane, is exactly about that notion, mm-hmm. too, of of are there lanes that we can or cannot be in who can tell what stories who can be in what spaces and and it strikes me for all the reasons that you shared why what you don't know is exactly the book that it's meant to be in the art and in the words and i value you i i i appreciate you i honor you for that anastasia thank you so much for thank you Matthew. for all that you brought of yourself and all of the sweat <laughs> to make it what it is <laughs> it should be it's serious you're talking to children about who they are and how they love you better take your responsibility seriously and i do yeah on that note I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning, Anastasia Higginbotham. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Mm, Be so curious about yourself. Find out as much about yourself as you can, about how you learn, how you love, who you're comfortable with, who you're not comfortable with. Um, Notice your body. Notice the way it lights up sometimes in some situations and maybe dims and and contracts closes in in other situations and you'll know from those experiences how to take good care of yourself and how to let people know what you need and I wish you that ability 
Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much, Anastasia, for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the podcast. Our show is sponsored by TeachingBooks.net. Teaching Books strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at TeachingBooks.net. I've invited a number of debut 2021 picture book authors to come on and read the end credits and share a little bit about their new books coming out. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and pass the mic over to my friends. See you next time. Hi, I'm Robin Newman. I'm the author of the Wilcox and Griswold Mystery Series. And I'm thrilled to tell listeners of the Children's Book Podcast that I have a new picture book coming out with Sleeping Bear Press on March 15th. It is called Don't Call Me Fuzzy Butt. It's about a bear and woodpecker who may have had a bit of a disagreement and called each other some not-so-nice names that this author refuses to repeat. To learn more about Don't Call Me Fuzzy Butt and some of my other titles, please visit my website at www.robinnewmanbooks.com. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 650 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. The theme music is by Poddington Bear Care of Free Music Archive. Want to help out the show? Become a patron at patreon.com backslash matthewcwinner. Your support and contributions will directly support and impact the work of the Children's Book Podcast. And always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing, a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.